Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to HypnoBits. This is Linda Campbell. I am a registered clinical counseling hypnotherapist and director of the Canadian or the Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators. And I want to welcome you to our show today. HypnoBits is a show that is about everything hypnotherapy. So whether you're a practitioner or a student of hypnotherapy, hopefully there's something in here for you. So the first Friday of every month is Newbie Questions, and I've had a couple of really interesting conversations with uh, recent graduates of mine that have uh, prompted me to come up with today's material. So the first question, I was having a conversation with somebody who was talking about how um, the course that I'm teaching may need to be revised, or all hypnotherapy program be to be revised to add in sections on how to deal with people who are transgender or people who don't identify as the sex that they appear to be. So, you know, back in the day, men were men, women were women. You could be gay or straight, and that was kind of the end of it. And, of course, there's so many different labels and so many different ways that people are identifying. And as hypnotherapists, as as um, therapists, period, we want to have sensitivity in this area because, of course, calling somebody by the wrong pronoun or making assumptions about their gender or their sexuality or, um, you know, their bend in, in what they're drawn to could really interfere with rapport. So my student was wondering, you know, how do we deal with this sensitive issue? And I had another conversation with a colleague who's an intimacy coach, and one of the things that she was talking about is there constantly seem to be more and more and more labels. Again, it used to be straight or gay, and now there's like all kinds of different labels that describe what people are drawn to, what they're attracted to, how they identify, and she said, I have a hard time keeping on top of them. It's like we need to have one running document, and every time something is added or changed, we can just refer back to the document. But unfortunately, there is no one document we can just refer to So how do you deal with sensitivity in this area? How do you make sure that you're not making assumptions about somebody's gender or how they identify? So one thing I think is really important is to just ask the client, uh, you know, what pronoun they prefer to use. When they come in and talk to you about my goal is around, you know, sexual identity or having sex change or something like that, we want to ask them how do they identify, what is the pronoun they would prefer to use, because, again, it's all about not making assumptions, and it's going to be different from one person to the next. And I think it's okay to just come out and ask somebody, uh, you know, what their reality is like, what their situation is like. And this is really the same with any client. Uh, for example, if a client comes in and tells me that they have OCD, I'm not just going to let the conversation drop there. I'm not just going to assume that OCD means the same thing to them that it might mean to me one client's OCD is going to be different than the next client's OCD. They manifest in different ways. You know, if you're familiar with the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Mental Disorders, when somebody is given a diagnosis, they have to match a certain number of criteria. So it may be they need to have seven out of these ten different symptoms in order for them to be diagnosed with this particular uh, diagnosis. 
However, not everybody is going to have the same seven symptoms, right? One person might have the first seven and the next person might have the last seven. And so how something is going to manifest from one person to the next is going to be different. Now, this really comes back to something that I'm constantly talking about in class, and that is that we really need to be making a huge effort with each and every individual client to understand their worldview, to understand you know, to, to be able to get into their world and walk around and see things from their perspective, to leave our own biases and judgments and our own understanding out of it and really figure out who they are. So, for example, um, we all grow up in a different culture, right? I mean, some of us, our cultural differences are obvious because we might look different or speak different languages or come from different parts of the world. But even those of us who all live in Victoria, all on the same street, will have a different family culture, right? Different family jokes, different family language, different family history from one person to the next, different biases and prejudices and preferences and values from one family to the next. So we can't assume that just because two clients look the same and come from the same area of town or the same culture or country, that they have the same belief system or the same way of looking at the world. So... I'm always talking to my students about really getting inside the client's mind, really listening for what the client's not saying and asking more questions. So if a client comes in and they say, I had a really tough childhood, my father was abusive, you're not just going to let the conversation drop there. You need to find out, describe what your father's abuse was like, give me some examples, let me know, you know, give me some insight into what that was like for you. Because one person's abuse might be dad came home regularly, rip-roaring drunk, and, you know, beat me up. Another person's abuse might be my dad, you know, said negative things to me, or my dad didn't show up at my school play. So there can be this wide variety of experiences, a really wide spectrum. And if we just hear the word abuse and then form a bunch of opinions or make a bunch of assumptions about what that must mean then we're missing the boat because it can be different from one client to the next. Uh, also, how it impacted on the client can be different from one client to the next. Um, I'm working with a client right now who had a lot of abuse in her household. What she did as a child was she would try to take care of mom. She would see that mom was being hurt by dad, so she, her role was to step in as the caretaker. But when I found out about her siblings, her sister would disappear into books and movies. She basically you know, created an escape for herself by pretending this wasn't going on. The brother uh, developed a lot of hatred for the dad and became a bit of a bully himself. So his way of trying to protect mom was to try to be you know, equally intimidating as dad was so that he could be an opponent for dad. So even in the same household, <laughs> different people can have different responses to the same environment or the same situation. And so I'm making a long convoluted point here, but it's no different when you're looking at somebody's sexuality. When somebody says they're coming in because they're considering having a sex reassignment operation, they're not going to have the same fears and worries and concerns and um, the same mindset around that as the next person who comes in with that goal. You know, when one client comes in with depression, I'm not just going to say, oh, well, then they must be feeling low and losing interest in things and sleeping too much. I'm going to find out from that person, how does that manifest for you? What does depression look like for you? Describe your experience of depression. I don't want to make any assumptions that I know what they're talking about. So 
I think the bottom line here is we just need to ask questions. Just like any client goal, just like any client who comes through the door, it's about understanding their worldview. So it's okay to say, what pronoun would you prefer me to use? Or to not have to know everything. If the client comes in and they're transgender, that doesn't mean we automatically know what their problems are going to be or what they've come to work on with us. We need to ask those questions. You know, what are the challenges you're experiencing? What would you like me to help you with in hypnosis? Um, I've had a couple different clients who were dealing with a sex reassignment operation. And one client uh, was at the point where they were considering making the change and they were still at the place where they were trying to decide if it was worth it. Would they be able to survive in the world as the opposite gender? Uh, this is somebody who is in quite a male-dominant industry and was concerned that if he changed his gender that he's going to lose his job, he's going to lose his credibility, he's going to lose a lot of respect. And so he was at the point where he was grappling with, does he want to make this change? Is this change important enough um, or would the work that we would be doing be on helping him to accept how he was and know that he was making the choice not to go through with the surgery because it would lead to consequences that he wasn't prepared to deal with? So that's quite a different person than another client who had been fearful about telling people he was close to. He was at the point where he was already on hormones and already making, uh, like had already committed to making this change. So his concerns weren't about should I do it or not. It was about how do I have the conversations with the people in my life that are important? How do I handle their different reactions? If somebody is resistant to me doing this, how do I stand firm against them? So, with that person, they were a little further along in their decision-making process, and therefore their goals and their concerns and what we would be working on in hypnosis was quite different from the previous client. So we always need to find out what is the goal. <laughs> Just because somebody's coming in for a particular goal like sleeping or weight loss or uh, nail-biting doesn't mean they want to accomplish the same thing as the last person who came in for sleeping or weight loss or nail-biting. And it doesn't mean that their problem stems from the same cause as the last person who came in with those things. I could see five different weight loss clients in one day and be doing five completely different sessions. And if you're not, if you could recycle the same material from one session to the next, from one client to the next, then I think it's really important to look at how you're working with somebody. You know, you should not be able to just like recreate this generic session, sticking to dealing with symptoms and suggesting things away. We really need to look at our client's worldview, at their agenda, at their challenges, at their language, their history, all of the specific things that are unique to them that have contributed to the problem they're having or that we could use to help resolve it. It's different from one person to the next. So bottom line, if you're dealing with somebody who's transgender, don't make an assumption about what that means or what they've come to work on. Find out about them. Find out what's going on for them. And if you're worried about interfering with rapport by calling the person by the wrong pronoun, then ask what they prefer and make a really concerted effort to use the appropriate pronoun and be sensitive and apologetic if you should screw up from time to time. All right. 
I, actually, I want to just take it for a second on this whole thing about the client's worldview because I was actually having an interesting conversation with somebody this morning about this whole you know, cultural sensitivity and being aware of the client's culture and not bringing your own biases into it. I had a client who came to see me probably a couple years ago now, and she came from another country. I don't remember right now off the top of my head what country it was or what, what um, background she had. But she had come here after her father had given her brother permission to kill her sister. And when she told me this, I was, you know, initially kind of like, oh, my God, did she come here to escape that? Is she hiding from the family? So I asked some questions like, you know, uh, why exactly are you here? And I think I probably asked. And she kind of looked at me funny. No, she's here going to university. She was from a culture where if the women had shamed the the family it was okay to kill that person. That was their cultural belief. Again, I can't remember what the culture was, but the sister had married somebody who was outside of their culture and brought shame upon the family, and the father gave the brother permission to kill her. And my client wasn't here to work on you know, her grief or her loss or her fear. She was actually coming to work on something completely unrelated, but when she gave me this bit of history, it was easy for me coming from a culture where we don't condone this type of thing, to make up all kinds of assumptions, come to all kinds of conclusions about what she must be here to work on and how that must have impacted on her. And, in fact, it was it was completely my own made-up thing. She wasn't affected by it, and we didn't even touch on it or address it at all during our work. I had another situation where I had a young girl come to see me, uh, she had a few years prior posted some nude pictures of herself online and somehow they got onto the school website that she went to. And um, as she was telling me about this, as she's telling me that she wasn't bothered by it. This has nothing to do with the goal that she came to see me about, but her parents had sent her to me because they thought maybe what she was experiencing, which was hair pulling, might have been related to the stress of this event. So I'm kind of poking around trying to find out how this event impacted on her thinking, if I were 14, 15 years old and my nude photos got all over the school, I would be horrified. That would be like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. So I'm asking her questions, and she's saying, no, no, she's fine with her body. It was no big deal. She thought it was kind of funny. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, sure, consciously, but I'm sure on some level this has, like, harmed you, and I'm looking for some evidence of this. And in fact, again, we didn't have to address it at all in our sessions. It didn't impact on her. I had this big story in my head about how it must have affected her because of how it would affect me. But people are different and cultures are different and how things impact us can be different from one person to the next. So again, I'm moving a little bit away, obviously, from gender reassignment and transgender. But really the point I'm making is with any client that you see, you need to get their specific situation and really develop a clear understanding of their worldview and how they respond to things. Okay, that aside, question number two. So this was a text that I got from another previous student of mine, and she wrote to me, have you ever had a session that set a client back? I had my fourth session today with a client who's struggling with being awakened at night feeling nervous. She's had huge improvements, but today we did parts therapy, and after the session she cried and said she felt really uncomfortable in the session. I felt so bad. I told her this is something to work through, but I'm scared I set her back. 
Okay, so when I read this text, I'm like, oh, my God, this is way too big to answer via text. There is just so much I want to say. So I think there's like five different points that I want to make in response to this. First off, who says the client is always going to be comfortable, right? We're doing therapy. There's going to be times where it's scary. There's going to be times when it's anxiety-provoking. There's going to be times when it's hard, when it's frustrating, when people are sad, Having a client be uncomfortable after a session is, you know, kind of something they experience a lot. In fact, I would be more suspicious and more concerned if you had client after client after client and you were doing session after session after session and they never experienced any strong emotion. I would be wondering if you were really dealing with the meat of the issue because we are dealing with people's traumas. We are dealing with their their hurt places, their wounds, their unresolved stuff. And even if it's just feeling sad for missed opportunities or feeling frustrated that it's taken them this long to solve their problem, of course clients are going to experience emotions. So that would be my first part to that question is, so she was uncomfortable after the session. No. <laughs> and, and again, we need to be constantly educating our client. It's normal for us to have strong emotions when we're working on something therapeutically. The second thing is I really believe in trusting what the subconscious presents. When something comes up in the session or in your debrief of the session, that's an opportunity to get more information, to look into it, to address it. So, for example, I had a client recently, and I was getting her to do an addressing others session. So she had had a lot of anger towards her parents. So I was getting her inside her mind and hypnosis to say whatever needed to be said to them to get it all out of her system, off her chest. And then I gave her the option of hearing back from them if she wanted to, things that she needed to hear in order to be able to move forward. And she was able to hear back from her father but she was taking quite a bit of time with mother, and she finally said to me, I can't make mom say anything. She's not saying anything. So I moved on in the session. We did something else, completed that, and did something else. But after the session, we debriefed around that. And I asked if it made sense to her why her mom was silent. What did she think that was all about? And it led into a really interesting conversation about how dad was off, uh, often verbally abusive towards the kids growing up, and her mom would just not say anything or not do anything. And so my interpretation of not being able to get mom to say anything in the session, to me that was the subconscious saying, okay, there's something we need to work on here, which is really about mom's tendency to be silent, to not protect me, to not defend me, to not step in. So I'm drawing your attention to that in this session by having mom not say anything. So when we talked about it after the session, it, you know, new information came up about how mom had held back and, and not communicated, not protected my client when she was a child. So to me, I'm not upset with the client that they didn't do it right. I'm not thinking, oh, you know, I tried to do this technique and it went sideways. What's wrong? I'm looking for if something doesn't go the way that I instruct it to go or the way I'm um, setting up for the client, that's feedback. That's the subconscious giving me some valuable information. So no matter what comes up during the session, if a client said she was uncomfortable during the session, I'd want to go in there right away during the session and see what that was all about. So for 
instance, sometimes a client might have a pain in their body or they might feel an emotion or they might feel nauseated or something during a session. And again, that's the subconscious going, hello, we've got something here. So I will often instruct the client to go into that feeling to have a look at what that feeling has to tell you. You could have them take that feeling out of the body, turn it into, you know, personify it in some way, give it a way to communicate to you so that they're having a conversation with it, they're having a dialogue, and they can understand what that feeling has to communicate. So it could be that that sensation came up for her because the subconscious wanted to get your attention and wanted to tell you something, and if you're, like, just trying to calm the client down and make her feel better, you're missing the opportunity to get more information. The third thing I want to say about this is, yeah, clients have setbacks. That's the reality of doing sessions. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. (laughs) Okay, so a few different things I want to say about this. Oftentimes you are working on something that the client has for decades or years or however long been avoiding. You're poking and waking up a sleeping bear. So another analogy, you sometimes get clients who – you know, they can't sleep at night, and the reason is that all of a sudden they've got all these things on their mind that they're thinking about or worrying about or anxious about. Those things they manage to avoid during the rest of the day because they're busy, they're distracted, they're taking care of business. But as soon as they lay down and they no longer have something to distract their minds, all of that stuff comes to the forefront. Well, a similar thing happens when you're doing therapy with people. Stuff that they've managed to ignore, that they haven't been looking at, that they've just been pushing through all of a sudden we're looking at it. So, yeah, it can be uncomfortable. (laughs) Another way I describe this is I talk about my Tupperware theory. So initially, before the client comes to see us, it's like their, their, their Tupperware cupboard is all full of containers, lids and bottoms, but they're just kind of shoved willy-nilly inside the cabinet. It's, it's unkempt, it's disorganized, but the cabinet door is closed, so we don't see any of it. We don't have to look at it. And when we do hypnosis, we're basically opening up the cabinet door and everything just tumbles out onto the floor. There's lids and containers everywhere. And so for a little while, it looks really messy. Now, it's no messier than it was before, but before it was nicely hidden away, so we didn't have to look at it. But we're beginning the process now of putting the proper lids with the proper containers, getting rid of the containers and lids that don't have a match, stacking them neatly, putting them back in an organized way into the cabinet. So, yeah, sometimes it'll appear as though things are getting worse because suddenly you're looking at stuff you weren't looking at before. The mess is in front of you. But part of uh, resolving a client's issue with them is putting the mess on the table so you can begin stacking and sorting. So, yeah, I often have clients who have what would appear to be a setback, but it's really not a setback. It's just the reality of doing therapy. Sometimes it can feel like two steps forward and one step back. Um, I, again, I would be more concerned if a client never had a moment of fearfulness or anxiety or sadness when they're working through something that's major. Okay, another thing that I'd like to say about this is the subconscious can sometimes be trying to keep things as they are. So 
you see the same thing primarily in a first session when a client starts going deeply into hypnosis. Sometimes they get too hot or they get itchy or there's some distraction. And it's almost like the subconscious is trying to keep them a bit vigilant. I'll let you go to this depth. I'll let you go to a six, but I'm not going to let you drop down to a ten. So I've got to give you some distraction to keep you from going too deeply. It's like the subconscious wants to control the experience. It wants to be vigilant so that you know the, the client doesn't go too far. And the same thing can happen when the client is starting to experience changes or when they come to work on something, period. So the subconscious can be like, hey, wait a minute, you need this anxiety. It's keeping you safe. It's helping you to survive in the world. What do you mean you're coming to work on it and to get rid of it? And so sometimes people's anxiety will get worse or they'll start drinking more or smoking more or eating more right before they start doing sessions because it's almost as though the subconscious is saying, no, don't take it away, I need this thing, right? Also, this can happen right before a breakthrough. Oh, maybe if I'm super uncomfortable, I don't have to come back. <laughs> the mean lady, that hypnotherapist, is about to take away my problem. I feel like I need this, this insecurity or this whatever because it's keeping me safe, it's helping me survive in the world. So I'm going to create so much discomfort that I don't actually have to go back and finish my sessions because if I go back one more time, She's going to fix me, dang nabbit, and I don't want that to happen. The subconscious is protective and it's illogical. It thinks it needs the symptoms. It thinks it needs whatever the client is coming in to work on. No matter how dysfunctional a client's behavior may appear, 99.9% of the time when you understand the cause, when you understand what's underneath it, it is useful, it's benefiting the client in some way. It's the subconscious thinking that they're helping the client so the client is frustrated because they're carrying extra weight, but on a subconscious level, the subconscious thinks it's helping that client to not attract unwanted sexual attention and end up in an abusive relationship again. Or the client isn't sleeping and the client is frustrated with being tired all the time, but on a subconscious level, this client had a health crisis uh, in her family a couple years back where she got a call in the middle of the night and had to rush out to meet a mother in the hospital. And now there's this hypervigilant part of the mind thinking, I better not sleep, I better not sleep, I might get another call in the middle of the night, I need to be ready for it. So even though from the conscious perspective, not sleeping is frustrating and tiresome, when you look at the subconscious perspective, it's helping the client out. So the subconscious can fight back when we are trying to create a change for the client because it thinks that the client needs what they've come to work on. So, yeah, it can appear like a setback when things, you know, it's like the subconscious digs in its heels a little bit harder to fight back against you. But it's really just the subconscious doing what it does. And to me, it's an indication that we're heading in the right direction. We're, we're actually addressing something real and we're getting some pushback. Now, when it comes to this client specifically, I did have kind of a question that I would pose back to the person who sent me the text. Is the client getting results? Um, you said that it was session four when you started doing parts therapy. And my suggestion would be if you're not getting results on something like sleeping through the night, getting good sleep, by session two, you want to move on to do your uncovering then. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty proactive about finding the source of the client's problem, and it may be that you can address it symptomatically in the first couple of sessions, but if you're not getting results, I wouldn't be waiting until session four to find out what's going on on an unconscious level. I'd be moving on and doing that a little bit more quickly. All right, so I think this has given you some ideas as to 
you know, what can be behind what appears to be a client setback and what you might do to work with somebody who is transgender or, more importantly, how, you, how important it is for you to really fully understand your client's worldview. Next week, I'm going to be talking about three ways to craft your ideal practice and eliminate competition. So that will be next Friday at 2.30 to 3 on HypnoBits. I hope you tune in. You can find these shows on the Blog Talk Radio station. You can find them on iTunes. Just look for Linda Campbell or HypnoBits. Or you can also find them on the Canadian Association of Clinical Hypnotherapists and Educators, sorry, Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators, CACHE, C-A-C-H-E dot com website. Take care. Bye-bye.